excellent and substantial, and would be just as enjoyable with or without the category to be stuffed into, the steampunk literature is a relatively small part of a larger enthusiasm. The concept has metastasized to the point where its cultural penetration is driven less by authors than by film studio art directors, costumers, and special effects departments. In that sense, not much different from any of the shrinking number of other concepts we have nowadays. If saying that one is into steampunk allows young women to attend science fiction conventions while laced into visibly complicated underwear, while their weedy boyfriends are bulked up by the heavy armor of period tweeds and vests, the inspiration is likely from the movies rather than any words on paper. While I might not have anticipated the slipping into common parlance of the word I coined, the larger steampunk enthusiasm wasn't similarly unanticipated. Yes, most of this is just a matter of people having good, clean, if somewhat gimmicky fun, but there's a genuinely worthy element to it that makes me one of those happy few who, even if we can't say we love our species, we can at least tolerate it on its better days. A fascination with Victorian tech is at its heart a salutary acceptance of the machineness of machines, and correspondingly an acceptance of the humanity of human beings. There's something nauseatingly predigested about the look of late twentieth and early twenty-first century industrial design, all those Steve Jobs-approved rounded edges like cough lozenges sucked on for a minute or so before being spat out into your hand. Whereas Victorian machines, with their precision-cut gears and spurred mantis armatures, are unabashedly themselves, rather than trying to smoothly cousin their way into your life. Thus we similarly perceive flesh-and-blood Victorians, even the fictional ones, as being more genuine than ourselves. They had lives, we have marketing. Even unto our souls, drama and ruin were possible to those who guarded their secrets and shame as pre-digital clocks held their tightly-coiled mainsprings inside themselves. That's what makes this last fully human epoch so interesting for writers and readers alike and why I was gratified, rather than surprised, that the thing to which I so off-handedly gave a name now clanks forward at its own pace. The faint tick and whir we hear across the sadly therapeutic centuries is that of our own foolishly abandoned hearts, which we'd love to wind up and set running again. Steampunk enthusiasts are engaged, however unknowingly, in nobler fun than mere mental cosplay. May God bless and increase their tribe. Human beings might yearn for lost things, but never for unreal things. K.W. Jeter, San Francisco, November 2010 1. Infernal Devices All comfort in life is based upon a regular occurrence of external phenomena. Goethe Part 1. In Search of St. Monkfish 1. Mr. Dower receives a commission. On just such a morning as this, when the threat of rain hangs over London in the manner of a sentence neither stayed nor pardoned, but rather perpetually executed, Creff, my factotum, interrupted the breakfast he had brought me only a few minutes earlier, and announced that a crazed Ethiop was at the door, presumably to buy a watch. Reader, if the name George Dower, late of the London borough of Clerkenwell, is unfamiliar to you, I beg you to read no further. Perhaps a merciful fate, 
merciful to the genteel reader's sensibilities, even more so to the author's reputation, has spared a few souls' acquaintance with the sordid history that has become attached to my name. Small chance of that, I know, as the infamy has been given the widest circulation possible. The engines of ink-stained paper and press spew forth unceasingly, while the even more pervasive swell of human voice whispers in drawing-room and tenement the details that cannot be transcribed. Still, should the reader be such a one, blessedly ignorant of recent scandal, then lay this book down unread. Perhaps the dim confines of the sick-room, or the wider horizons of tour abroad, far from English weather, and the even darker and more permeating chill of English gossip, have sheltered your ear. There can be only small profit in hearing the popular rumours of that dubious scientific brotherhood known as the Royal Anti-Society, and the part I am assumed...